0: And you're like what you know they're only three dollars what else can i do with these pumpkins send them to us because we need them to destroy so if you uh want to buy an extra pumpkin or two for us that'd be greatly appreciated i'll take those from you and we will put those in the youth building and get us a a, a storage pile going um over there so i'm thank you for that in advance and uh also just if i don't know that we've actually ever announced it but there's going to be no fall festival this year whatever you want to call it hobo supper fall festival whatever it, we usually call it Uh, we are not having that this year just because everybody knows why right it's a a difficult time to do anything where you congregate many people so we look forward to starting that back in 2021 as well as no one night in bethlehem this year The, the the logistics of it are just too difficult to pull off at this time so we will look at those going to next year as well does anybody else have any more announcements um prayer requests. Um, I know that Mr. Buchanan was transported to Florida, and the last update I saw is that he needs a lung transplant. I guess that's still the case. So continue to pray for, for God to work in that situation in the hearts of the family, and as, you know, as the healer, to continue to, to work in his, in his body. Um, yes, sir, Mr. Terry. Uh, like for, uh, okay. Yes, if you remember Morgan and Madison, their grandmother, who they lived with for most of their life, uh, passed away. And uh, they had her funeral yesterday, so they're taking it pretty hard. And uh, Terry did a great job at the funeral yesterday, uh, preaching that funeral. So we want to continue to pray for them. They were a big part of our church for a long time. I know most of you know them pretty well. So uh, just continue to keep them in your thoughts and prayers. We have a lot of people traveling right now. Um, Neil's gone, and Catherine's gone, and Erica's gone, and Crystal's gone. So if you have any questions about anything, I guess I'm the person to answer that as well as i can if not i'll text the person who needs to who needs to know but all of those people are gone but we uh we're excited that you are here with us so as we get ready for worship if you'll stand um, i'm going to ask jeff rude if he'll pray for us and then we'll worship together Okay guys, one more announcement. Bryson, sorry. Today's his birthday. So before we worship together, we're going to sing happy birthday. we're gonna sing in the garden. Alright, now bear with me, you are my test subjects on preaching with one arm, Um, so hopefully all goes well. I like to talk with my hands and so it's a little bit difficult to do so when you only have one, Um, but we will make it through. If you would, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, now if you are anything like me, um, it's not a book that you've turned to a lot. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a book that actually f- I probably studied for the first time, studied, I probably read it at some point, but studied for the first time this summer, because we went through the Book of Habakkuk for our, our modified youth camp that we had this year, and um, so it, it is a book that not many people have read, or not many people have studied, but it is incredibly good and it's incredibly relevant, I believe, to where we have been this year. Now, I don't know about you, but I could probably say that for the entire Bible, if you read it and you study it, God has continued to teach through his word this year, and in ways for me that I've never really experienced before, because as the seasons go and as things get tough, he continues to show me new ways in which he is good, and new ways in which he can continue to guide us through this time on earth, so... Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to look at the first 11 verses together this morning, so we're going to read the passage to start, and then we will get into this this section of Habakkuk. In verse 1, it says, The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed. Now, in verse 5, we see a transition that takes place. In verse 2 through 4, Habakkuk is speaking. And now God begins to answer in verse 5. And it says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are... Feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dust. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their, their hordes advance like a desert wind and, the, and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Dear Lord, I pray that we have in this time together, Lord, the opportunity just to, just to understand what's going on in this chapter, Lord. But even more than that, Lord, to see how it's continuing to work in our lives, Lord, the ways in which you can teach us and show us, Lord, uh, who you are and, and how we are to respond to who you are. Um, in light of everything that we're going through, Lord, it has not been an easy year. Lord, it has not been an easy past few days. It's not been an easy past few hours for some people, Lord, but we continue to rely on you and trust in you in all circumstances, Lord. And I pray that you continue to show us how good you are, Lord, and all that you do through your word, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk outside of this book. Um, you know, many different prophets are talked about in, in various places within the Bible, but Habakkuk himself, really you don't hear about him unless you read the book of Habakkuk. And so just a few things that we, that we need to understand and know about Habakkuk before we get into this is Habakkuk was categorized as Habakkuk the prophet, which, which means many of the times that he was a prophet by profession. This is something that he did for a living. This is something that he, this was his life. Right, Being a prophet is what his, his life entailed, and so it's important for us to know how invested and how, how much this was a part of his, his very inner being for Habakkuk being a prophet. Secondly, we also need to understand that it's likely that he lived during the, during the reign of multiple kings. He lived during the reign, of, the, the reign of King Josiah, and during this time, he's reigning under the king of uh, King Jehoiakim, when he pronounced this prophecy, and these are two very different kings with two very different hearts. Josiah was a was a man who loved God, who 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 lived for God, who ruled for God. And Jehoiakim is known as a man who did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and was known for his violence and tyranny. So, what we see in the life of Habakkuk is what many of us have experienced: is a change in power. Right? It's election season. We know we know what goes on when when when. People, we go from one ruler to the next, or one president to the next, whatever it may be. So we know that he's lived under very different circumstances, in very different times with very different leaders. He's lived through the, the reigns of two very unique kings with very unique hearts. Now at this point, Israel, the, the nation of Israel, is split into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom was known as Judah. Judah. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been exiled by the Assyrians. They've already received judgment, right? They've already been taken over by a foreign power. And so now you have this southern kingdom of Judah who has already seen, right, what happens to those who do not follow the Lord, right? They've already seen the, these, these Assyrians come in and take over their brothers to the north. And so we ought to think in our minds and our hearts, wouldn't this change the way that we lived if we saw that happen, right? If you were to see, people of God living in, a, in another kingdom be taken over by foreigners. It would change the way that I perceive things. It would change the way that I live. But for the Judahites, for those people of Judah, they continued to follow the leadership of their king Jehoiakim, and they continued to live in, in utter abandon from God. And so it's important for us to know all that because we have to know who Habakkuk is crying over, right? We have to know who Habakkuk is is speaking over. And he's speaking to a people who are supposed to be the people of God, but are living a lot like the people of the world. And so that's important for us to to realize as we get into this passage. And so we have two big big, uh, sections in this, but then also within each of those, we have some minor sections that I want us to look at. This morning. So if you, if, you didn't, if you didn't print off the notes uh, that Neil sent out, if you're looking for a title for this sermon, it would be God-sized questions and God-sized answers. We, many times we have God-sized questions. Questions that only he can answer. Questions that, that only we can take to him and him alone. But he also responds. He has God-sized answers. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So the first point under the questions of Habakkuk is this. How do we react to trouble? Reacting to trouble. The first section of this passage begins with Habakkuk opening himself up to God, and Habakkuk truly pours out his heart to God in a very real and raw way. I don't know about you, but there's many times that I let stuff build up inside of me. Is anybody like that? I, I know that I am, and I know that's a lot of guys, right? We don't really like to talk about feelings and emotions. That's not really our thing. Now, most of the time, our guys' small group on Sunday nights is the first one done because when you say, so anybody got anything they want to talk about? Everybody's like, you know, teenage boys, huh? can we play ping pong? You know, That's kind of where we go. We, we, we try to escape those things. But many times for me, things build up in me to a point in when I can't take it anymore, right? And you just have to pour that out. If, if that's happened to you at all, I would say it probably happened this year where you've just, you just seem to, I don't know that I can take this anymore. Whether it be at work or whether it be at school or whether it be within your family, whatever it is, sometimes you just can't help but want to pour out your heart to someone. I remember when I was in college, my freshman year of college, I had a professor who was, who was, ju- had just got done with his master's degree and he was teaching a history class that I was taking And it was the hardest class I took my entire college career, my first semester in college. I was like, if this is what college is going to be, I don't know that I can, you know, we may not make it to the end of this. And some of you may have had those professors before that you thought, I mean, this guy's on another level in terms of what his expectations are and all these different things. Well, anyway, we had a a paper that was due that was like 50% of our grade, and it was like 12 pages. I'd never written 12 pages in my life. Right? They don't prepare you for that in high school. They they didn't for me. So 12 pages long, and he gave us an era to look at. And in Anyway, throughout the whole process, he was doing things differently. Right, We didn't do MLA. We did some other format. We, didn't, we, we couldn't use this, these types of sources. We could only use these types of sources. And so this, this a little bit of anger and a little bit of confusion and all these things kept building up in me, and I thought, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then eventually, the the papers do like two weeks, two weeks the papers do. I've already started finding sources and doing all these things. And one day in class, he says, now, I wanted to talk about your research paper for a second. He said, if you're planning on talking about this particular topic, I would strongly advise you not to do so. Who was thinking of, 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 who was doing this paper on that topic? I was. So throughout this whole semester, all these things building and building and building, and eventually, right, I came to a breaking point. And so I didn't yell at the professor. That's not not what I'm getting to. But I got in my car after it was over, and I called Brooke. And I said, Brooke, can I just talk to you for a second? And I just unleashed, right? Ah, you know, she's probably a little scared. You know, it's still the beginning of our relationship. She's thinking, I don't know, you know, about this. I just unleashed, right? Sometimes you just have to open up your heart, open up what's, what's in here and just tell people about it. And that's a, that's a pretty worldly look at it. But that's where Habakkuk is in his life. He looks around at the way that the world is living and the way that people who claim to be followers of God are living and it's building and it's building and it's building and, it's building and eventually he has to let that go. We have lived that way. You may be living that way now where you look around at the way the world is living and you think, I have to let this go. It is eating me up on the inside. We experience this as believers. This is the way that Habakkuk feels at this very moment. He sees heartache and pain and evil and greed and idolatry and hate and lawlessness and go on and go on and go on. He recognized those who are supposed to be God's people are living as enemies of God and he cannot hold it in anymore. So what does he do he opens up his heart to God and he says, Lord, what is going on? Oftentimes, I believe that we choose the wrong way to react and to respond to the trouble we see. The way that we respond more often is, what, anger towards the world. We want to figure out the ways that we can go And we can tell so and so why they're not doing things right. Or we can tell them, why are you living this way? And we respond with an anger which is not a righteous anger like God's anger, but a selfish anger that only comes from the heart of man. Often we respond with hostility. We look at these people and say, how dare you live this way? How dare you think that you have control? How dare you do these different things? We look with disinterest, right? We turn our backs on the people of the world and say, they're unsavable. let's, Let's not even worry about them anymore. How often have I looked at someone and thought, man, they sure are sinful. Man, they sure are lost. Man, they sure have no hope, right? How often I've looked at the world and had complete despair, thinking that there is nothing that can take place That will change the way the world is. If you feel like that right now, you are not alone. Right? I I sit at home sometimes and I just think, man, we are past saving. But I'm here to tell you that our reaction to trouble and to trial should not be one of anger, hostility, disinterest, or complete despair. But the biblical response, the biblical response to all of these things is to pour out your heart to God. Now, do we do that the first time, every time? No. I have been struggling personally with some stuff lately, and my first response is to try to figure out how I can fix it myself. How, you know, what can I do physically? What can I do mentally? What can I do to distract myself from all of these things? I'm here to tell you, we are not powerful enough to overcome what Satan throws at us, but God is. And so when He called, when Habakkuk gets to this point, he's gotten to the place within his heart that he knows the only thing that's left to do is to get on my knees and cry out to the God who can fix what I'm seeing, the God who can change the hearts of man. We do not have that power. That is our first and our only response that will work as believers is to just cry out to God. How do we react in times of trouble? In Daniel chapter nine, Daniel confesses to God the sins of his people. And in verse three, it says, "So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Pleaded. When's the last time you pleaded to God on the behalf of those around you who are sinning? When's the last time you pleaded with God in, in behalf of your own sin? When's the last time you truly, me and you alone, got on our knees and prayed?" intensely for those who we would call our enemies. That is the biblical example of responding to trouble and to trial and to hardship. Of course, the perfect example is Jesus. Jesus, when he was in turmoil over what was to come, goes to the garden and gets down on his knees and he he prays. He prays so intensely that it's like drops of blood Falling from his forehead. But he's perfect in the way that he responds. He says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Jesus could not do this on his own. He could not endure the cross on his own. He could not accept what God had called him to do and what the world was on his own. He knew where he had to go to the feet of the Father. And his response was this, not my will, but yours be done. That's another level, right? Because we're going to see here in a minute, especially next week, that Habakkuk doesn't really like the way God responds, <laughs> right? He goes to him in the right way, but the response is not what he expected. But, but Jesus knew that the only way to live was re- with a response of not my will, but yours be done. But can we get the first one Right? Can we go to a God that we know is in control, that we know is powerful, that we know is good? Can we, can we look around at the world and all the things that we see? And our response to that be, I've got to get on my knees and pray to God about this. That is the response of a believer. That is the response of the church. So as he cries out to God, he asks two big questions two big questions and, and and both of them are kind of a, a why question for any of you who've had kids everybody keeps telling me you know wait till he's about um, two and his favorite thing to say will be why you know why 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 you know we, I have people ask me why for stuff that I, I mean it's just like they just have to ask it you know it's just like part of their DNA why why are we doing this why are we doing that well Habakkuk asked God two questions within this crying out. The first question he asked is, Why haven't you shown up yet? Why haven't you shown up yet? We can see it right here. It says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Where are you? How long must I cry out to you violence, but you do not save? God, where are you? And I think what we have to learn from this question is, oftentimes our response to waiting ought to be rejoicing. We ought to rejoice in waiting. And I'll tell you why. Often God teaches us many things through allowing us to wait on Him. Now, it is not fun many times, right? We are a people of immediate gratification. I would say that most people in here, besides my parents who are here this morning, probably have a smartphone, my mom and dad are, are still flip phone kind of people, and I'm a little jealous of them at this point, honestly, because that'll get, this, this phone will get me in a lot of trouble. But we, are in, you know, we don't have to wait. We don't have to go to the library and get an encyclopedia and look up the Word and find it. No, I can Google that and have it in about two seconds. Right? We are a people of immediate gratification. We are a people who, who, who constantly have to be fed. Right? I catch myself watching TV and it goes to commercial and pulling out my phone and when the, it comes back on, putting my phone away. Right? We have to have this constant, overwhelming, like immediate gratification of everything that's happening. But God tells us in his word and through Habakkuk, he says, Listen, sometimes you have to wait in order for me to really show you the way that I'm working in your life. When God allows us to wait patiently upon him, it allows our faith to grow, and it allows us to, be, to more easily recognize God's grace and mercy when it does show up, and it will. I think of Abraham, who was told, you're going to be a father of many nations, right? And he was probably thinking, great, hopefully that's tomorrow. And as we see, God allowed him to go through these years and years and years and years of waiting and hoping And praying, and a little bit of despair, and trying to take his own path. Right, we 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 learn about that too. But God is faithful to Abraham, and eventually He does give him a son. And then He tells him what: sacrifice that son to me. And Abraham takes Isaac up to the hill and and goes to sacrifice him. and, And and God intervenes and gives him gives him a ram to sacrifice. But do you do we think that Abraham would have had the faith to sacrifice his son? if he would have gotten him immediately. I don't know. I think that God was teaching Abraham in that moment, you will know when my grace comes. You will know how good I am by your waiting. In your waiting, you will learn to pray more efficiently. In your waiting, you will learn to worship more. In your waiting, you will learn to to learn more and to dig more and to hope more and and, and to rely more. If I get everything I want all the time, then nothing to me is special. Right? You ever had that present that you wanted so badly when you were a kid? And your parents say, no, no, no. And eventually it gets to Christmas morning and you open up that box and there it is. And you've been waiting six months for that thing. Your excitement is overwhelming. I'm telling you, you would not have been as excited about that present if you'd have gotten it the day you asked. Because many times we have to learn our need and we have to learn our desire and we have to learn our heart being completely devoted to him in this waiting period. And so Habakkuk asked, Lord, where are you? Why haven't you shown up yet? Many times, God not showing up is is pointing not to his disdain for people, but it's pointing towards his grace. God's patience is grace for us. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's waiting is more often a miracle on our behalf than a punishment. How often times I, 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 I pray that God would come and then I realize if he comes now, this friend of mine, he won't be in heaven with me. If he comes now, these, these people who are so lost, they will not know how good he is and how good he will be, and, and they will not be with me in eternity. So let's look at God's patience and waiting as grace and mercy rather than punishment and judgment. God knows what he's doing. He has his own timing. And we ought to be reliant upon that, knowing that oftentimes we, we, oft, we ought to rejoice in our waiting. Another question that Habakkuk asks, he says, why are things so bad? I have caught myself asking that question more this year than I ever have. Why? Why are things like they are? He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why do you tolerate destruction and violence? Why are they before me? I think oftentimes God allows us to see all the things, all the bad in the world to invigorate us for ministry. To in, invigorate us for ministry. This is a question that we ask all the time. And, but when we see violence and wrongdoing and injustice and lawlessness, when that shows up in our lives, it ought to, it ought to put us on the, on the fast track in the opposite direction towards God. I don't know about you, but the more I see the world, the more I want to be alone with God. The more I see what's going on out there, the more I want to be in here with his people. The more I see the the, the way in which the world lives without God, the more I want a world where God is present in everyone's life. Because if that's the alternative, then give me God. And I think oftentimes we wouldn't know how badly we need God unless things were as bad as they are. Right? They're giving you Right, The world is giving us, we are giving ourselves oftentimes a prime example of what life is without total surrender to God. I don't know about you, but it doesn't look that great to me. Looking out and seeing these people talk about trying to create these utopian societies, right? If we could only have things this way, and if we could only have people like this, and if we could only do things like this, then we would have this perfect society to live in. Well, you can ask Adam and Eve, there is no perfection apart from God. There is no perfection without God at the center of it. There will not be perfection until we're in heaven because we are, we are people and we are sinful. But the more I see the world without God, the closer I want to grow to him. The more I see our nation move itself away from the law and the and, and the worship of God the more i want to go out and tell them how badly we need him right this ought to as believers this ought to not have us run away from the world often but it should have us taking god to the world right i want to be so invigorated and in so in love with god but that I, when i see lost people i can't help but go to them and tell them there's something better there's someone better Habakkuk has been given the opportunity to look around, and a lot of what he sees is himself and the world apart from the transforming work of God within our lives. When we look and see the world, it ought to want us to run to God and also to talk to others about Him. It ought to invigorate us for the ministry that God has for us. 2 Corinthians 5 20 and 21 says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors and as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God we ought to cling to that and we ought to speak that to everyone we come in contact with we ought to implore on my behalf right I am begging you know who God is come to Jesus Know the better way to be, the only way to be. I want to look around and, and, and see the way that, that Jesus saw with eyes of compassion. Right? He looked out and he said, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. Part of compassion is, is being invigorated and, and, and moved towards more and more ministry, more and more of God's work. So Habakkuk comes with big questions, but God always responds with big answers within his word. So the next part, the answers of God. The answers of God. So we have seen, we have seen Habakkuk cry out to God. We've seen the questions that he's asked. And now we have this section where God responds to Habakkuk. And so that's the first, the first point under this is that God does respond to his people. God does respond to his people. If we don't understand and know that truth, then we're not, gonna, we're not gonna understand the rest of this passage because we have to have a heart and a faith that knows that we have a God who responds. We have a God who answers. We have a God who speaks to us through his spirit, through his word, through the people that he's put in our lives. God responds to those who seek him. When I was in high school, I took an AP calculus class, and it was really difficult, but I had a great teacher, and I remember many times, you know, she would give us opportunities before and after school to come and get help, to, to get prepared for the AP test, to, to get prepared for all the things, the materials that we were learning, and, you know, I never thought I'd make it through that class, but I knew that I could go to her, and I knew that she would help me, Right? She would not have been a very good teacher if she said, anybody have any questions? And I raised my hand and said, yeah, how did you get that answer? And she said, yep, you know, figure it out, right? That's not a very good teacher, is it, Abby? Abby, that's not a great teacher. Abby knows about teaching. Many of you know about teaching. We have a lot of teachers. And you're not a very good teacher if you don't know how to respond to the questions, right, that your students have. Well, we live in a world, right, We live in a time as believers in which God responds to us in our times of need. It may be in different ways, and what we're going to learn in a minute is it may be in ways that we don't like, but he will respond to those who seek him out. Habakkuk has this heavy heart. He's been crying out to God for who knows how long, and God answers. And too often, I believe, in my heart, and maybe in yours, that I enter into prayer without the faith of knowing that God will respond. I go to pray to God without, without knowing for sure that I have a God in my life who responds. Jeremiah 33 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. We have the promise from God that he will respond to our prayers. He will respond to our crying out. He will respond to our despair. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good to know, in a world where people are searching for answers, we have a God who responds to our questions? Now, before we dive too deeply into this last section or two, got to understand a little something about these these Babylonians. Now, for some of you, it may say Chaldeans, or Chaldeans, I don't really know. Mine says Babylonians, okay? Same people. We have to understand a little bit about these Babylonians because God is about to rock Habakkuk's world with the way in which he's going to respond to in judgment to the Judahites. So these Babylonians, they're described as ruthless, reckless, careless, invading, feared, dreaded, arrogant, intent on violence, mocking, demeaning, and self-centered. Those are qualities I hope people don't talk about me. I mean, that Bryson, he's careless and reckless and violent. (laughs) The Babylonians have gone from town to town, city to city, destroying entire places. It says in in one of the commentaries I was reading that they destroyed Nineveh, a major power, and they destroyed it so much that people still don't know where it was. (laughs) That's how much they destroyed this city is that they can't find it. That is a nasty people. They took prisoners with no regard for other people. This is the type of people we are talking about. These are the people who we would never expect God to use for his own purpose. But his response comes to Habakkuk, and he says that he's going to raise up the Babylonians to bring judgment upon the people of Judah. Wow. God is going to take a people, a people who've lived in this way, and use him for his own means. Use them for his own means. And so the second point under this and the way that God responds is God works in ways that we cannot understand. God works in ways that we cannot understand. He tells us right here in verse five, he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. God has ultimate authority over all things. He's creator of the world, right? He, he split the sea in half. He calmed the storms. He made things grow and, and people come back to life. He has all the authority he needs to do whatever he wants with any people on this earth, and there is no person that's greater than God. So God can, can move and direct pieces in this world the way that he deems it to be. So what Habakkuk is going to have to realize is that we cannot put God into a box of what he can and cannot do. Our our response as believers is not to question, right, not to question God. Now, we're going to see Habakkuk has questions, right, and we're going to have questions, but our, our ultimate response should be one of humility and one of acceptance because God is God and we are not, and that's the way it should be. God has been having this world in orbit from the very beginning of time. He, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Can you do that? I can't even get my lights to turn on sometimes. Right? I, have trouble, I have trouble changing the bulbs. Right? I, I'm one-armed. What power and authority do I have? But God, who has all power and all authority, and he works in ways we can't understand. That is something that we've seen throughout Scripture. It's something that we've seen many times in our own lives. And many times... It's for our good, right? Thank you, thank you, God, that, we, that he works in ways that we can't understand because what we see in the world is people trying to fix things the way that they understand, right? What I see in my own life before I became a Christian was me trying to live for him in ways that I couldn't understand. And what we have to realize and know that God is the one that must open our eyes to the right way to live and the right way to be and the right way to love and the right way to have family and the right way to parent and the right way to be a good child, and the right way to be a good grandparent, right? All of these things come from God and God alone, and He works in ways we can't understand, but He will show us the ways in which He works. It is not up to us to decide when and how God will bring about His plan. Throughout history, God has continuously done things that people wouldn't have believed until they saw it. If you didn't know this, this, this verse, verse 5, is actually quoted in, um, in Acts chapter 13. So I'm going to read a passage from, from Acts chapter 13 real quick. It says, this is Paul speaking to the, uh, to the church at Antioch. He says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And this is, this is it. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. And as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked to them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And what we need to see and understand is one way in which God worked in a way that people could not understand is by sending Jesus as a sacrifice for us. So when we question God, know that nobody would have ever understood the ways in which Jesus worked, but wasn't that the greatest thing God ever did? We may question the way that God works. And so, guess who else questioned the way that God works? The Pharisees. The Pharisees said, God wouldn't send a Savior who wasn't coming to to save us from Rome. Right? God God wouldn't send a Savior who went and sat with sinners. God wouldn't send a Savior who was willing to die on a cross. God wouldn't send a Savior who was willing to be buried in a tomb and to be resurrected. But what the Pharisees thought is all of those things we say that God can't do. But God said, listen, I'm doing something that you wouldn't understand unless you saw it. And so we need to open our eyes, not physically, but spiritually to the ways in which God works and know that we can trust the way that He works. Because one of those ways was by sending His Son as our Savior. People still often do not understand the ways in which God works, but we know the ways in which He works are good. And the ultimate thing that God did was sending His Son to give us all a chance at eternity, all a chance at new life, all a chance to live with Him forever. And so what I want us to see in this is that, yes, God is going to raise up the Babylonians. He's going to use them as a way in which to punish His own people He's going to use them as a way in which to call his people to repentance. But it's okay that God works in ways that we don't understand because he's on a different level than we could ever be. I remember, I remember playing high school baseball, and oftentimes I looked around and said, man, these guys are on another level. You know, have you, ever, have you ever thought that? you ever been around talking to somebody, and they start saying words, and you're like, boy, this guy's on another level, you know? God's on another level. It's okay that we don't understand everything. What we, what we need to understand is that God is God. And God is in control. And God is faithful. And God is just. That's the last thing. God is always just. And that's what we need to remember from this. is not, not to question God's authority in all of these things. And so we need to know it is not our job to be the ones to deliver judgment. It's not our job to be the ones to say what's right and what's wrong in, in, in the eyes of God. We must trust that God is working both for His glory and our good. We must trust that He will establish and bring forth His plans. God, in a way in people, which people never understood, provided a Savior. Where we can find salvation and forgiveness of sin by not relying on our own strength, but relying upon him. Hebrews 6, 10, and 11 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. And then Colossians 3, 23 through 25 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working For the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. But that is God's work. That is God's job. To know the hearts of his people. To know the ways in which he works. And it is our job to be vessels in his plan. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Be a people who who know our place in this. And so... As we as we close this morning I just want us to remember those things. When you look out at the world and you see all of the difficulty and all of the strife and all of the sadness and all of the despair, know that we have a God in which we can go to, that our job is to cry out to him and know that he will respond and be okay with the way in which he responds. Right because God is God is faithful. God is just, God is good. And it, it's up to us to, to have faith in him and to know that he is at work in all things. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful and thankful for the time that we get to spend together this morning. Lord, I thank you for the, the way in which you speak to us, Lord. I know that people have in their hearts right now things that just have built up over time, Lord. I know that we're living in a, I, there's There's times where I go to bed at night and just sit there staring at the ceiling wondering why are things the way that they are. Lord, wondering what is happening right now, why, you know, wondering why the things that, that, that we're going through are happening, but Lord, I pray that we can trust and obey in all circumstances, Lord, that, that as we're about to sing, Lord, that, that we would be at peace, Lord, that we would, could say, it is well with my soul, Lord, because you have transformed our souls, Lord. You've given us eternity as a a place to desire, Lord. But I pray that we be your servants while we're here, Lord. That we go out and, and be invigorated for the ministry that you have for us to do, Lord. We each have a ministry, Lord. And oftentimes I believe that the people in here whose ministry is in schools and at work and in families, Lord, their ministry is the most important. Lord, making connections, knowing people, Lord, loving on people and showing them a better way. Lord, allow us, to be humble servants of you each and every day. In your name we pray, amen. All for being here this morning, and um, I don't think Catherine left a benediction. So, what we're going to do is we're going to ask uh, Benji Alexander to close us in prayer, and then <clears throat> you're free to go. Do remember that there is Sunday school, correct, at 10 o'clock, over in I don't even know what time it is, but over in the uh, in the old sanctuary. So, we welcome you to come. And he, who's, who's teaching? Okay. Yeah, and so there's children and adult Sunday school. So we hope that you will join us for those ministries. Benji, if you'll close us in prayer.